I'm Joe Partavilla. This is the Forbes Books Podcast. And author Gretchen Rubin once wrote, The days are long, but the years are short. And she couldn't be more right. It's hard to believe it's almost tax season again. And this week, I am lucky to be joined by a CPA that is one of the foremost authorities on domestic and international tax planning and mitigation. His name is Charlie Dombeck. He's the president and chief client officer at Key City Capital. We're going to talk about how his father convinced him to go to college, why he got into the movie business, and how he transformed himself from a tax planner into a wealth architect. Charlie, how are you? I'm doing wonderful, Joe. Charlie, I hate to start like this, but you are a nationally recognized CPA, and I've always been fascinated about how people find their way into like whatever they do for a living. So what was the road for you to become this like superstar CPA? Like, How did you get there? Well, it's kind of interesting. I actually didn't ever want to go to college because I was working for my dad's brother when I was in high school, and he operated a garage door sales service and installation company. I remember back when I was 17 or 18 years old, and I had more money in my bank account as a 17-year-old than my dad did, who, <laughs> had, who had a master's degree in electrical engineering. Wow. My dad asked me when... I graduated from high school. Where are you going to go to college? I go, I'm not. I'm just going to continue to work for your brother. And he goes, well, since you're going to work for my brother, here's all of the things that you're going to have to pay for as an individual that's not being supported by me anymore. And so the $9 or $10 an hour back in 1979, after all of the deductions my dad applied to my income was about $2 to to $3 an hour. So... (laughs) That was what motivated me to go to college. And I actually started out as an engineer. My dad is a a brilliant electrical engineer, and my brother is actually an aerospace engineer. So I figured that I would follow the same track. But I had a a big problem with physics. Oh, Um, yeah. That comes in handy with that, I think. And and differential (laughs) equations and calculus. But I happened to take uh, an accounting course um, when I was in the engineering curriculum because they told me it was a good idea to have a little bit of a business background. And I did exceptionally well in accounting in my first course and ultimately transferred and got a degree in accounting and then was fortunate enough initially to be hired by Ernst & Young, which is one of the largest international accounting firms and spent nine years as a tax planner there. So most of my career was spent in the accounting field, in public accounting as a tax planner and someone that helps clients with tax mitigation issues. And Um, I actually formed my own firm about 20 years ago to address what I had viewed as weaknesses over a career of work in terms of how clients got served, primarily by their CPA. And what I had observed is that most CPAs are really good historians. Hmm. We're good at telling you how much money you made, how much you owe, when and where to file your taxes, and oftentimes how to write very large texts at the last minute when you least expect it. I kind of call that CPA suicide. (laughs) So (laughs) most CPAs are good at the compliance activities, right? We take, we fill out the forms. We do the very basic minimum things necessary to keep you compliant, but we're not proactive. And stereotypically, we're oftentimes not great communicators. But fortunately, I had been trained to be a tax planner. So I formed my firm for the sole purpose of helping clients recover dollars they unnecessarily pay in the form of state and federal income taxes and built a very successful national practice catering to a couple of industry segments to what I call the mass affluent, people with very high active income from the job they 
they practice the business they own or the profession that they are engaged in and help clients shelter income from taxation over a career of work. So that's kind of how I got started in the business. Wow. And that's kind of our unique value proposition is before we start talking about preparing tax returns, we talk about what can we do by going through a strategic process to really analyze how you've filed and paid taxes in the past and how can we recover uh, what I call low hanging fruit, which is typically for my clients an immediate return on investment in terms of the time and money they spend with us. Huh. And I know, Charlie, you're a movie guy. Do you ever do that the Gwyneth Paltrow sliding doors thing of like, what if I my dad never like showed me, basically kicked me out of the house where my life would be today? Have you ever thought about that? Yeah, it's kind of interesting. So ultimately, I ended up inheriting my dad's brother's company. And oh, it's very, it's very, yeah, because he didn't have kids. And very possibly, I could have ended up in the garage door industry for my entire life. And um, who wants to spend uh, eight to 10 hours or longer hours per day in a garage for the rest of their life? That would have been a very unfortunate outcome. But um, I operated his company successfully for about 15 years and ultimately sold it to one of the employees that had been with my dad's brother for over 20 years. And so uh, it was a really win-win situation for all parties involved and uh, love the business. But thankfully, um, <laughs> I don't have to spend my days in a garage. <laughs> garage yeah, no, I, I, I think you made the right call there. It is funny in the world of accounting. It's almost as an outsider, please correct me if I'm wrong. It's it's like PR or, or law where it's a fear-based occupation where basically you work not to get fired you work to uh, make sure you follow compliance issues uh letter to the law and you sound like a guy who's not just about that it's a very good point um what i call it is playing tax chess Mm. it's moving the pieces on the board strategically in your favor as a business owner a professional or an individual rather than in the favor of the government You know, I've been a practicing CPA for 30 years. I have an unblemished record. So we're never going to do anything that is risky or um, is going to create a problem for our clients. But there are strategies that you can implement that are compliant with the Internal Revenue Code that will save you money. Mm -hmm. And it's really about going through a strategic planning process. It's not rocket science, but there's a couple of critical things that make a difference in terms of how much you ultimately pay in income taxes. You know, one is what type of business structures do you use in your financial life? All entity types, whether you have a limited liability company, a corporation or a partnership in your financial life, they all have legal and tax attributes. So what we do for our clients is fit the unique tax attributes of each entity type favorably to what's happening in our clients' financial lives. We also train or teach and educate our clients about how to take income or gains Uh, out of their businesses or investments in the most tax efficient manner. We also look at growing wealth in essentially three buckets of wealth. One is an after-tax bucket of wealth. I'm going to invest capital that I've paid tax on, on the earnings that I've made. I'm also going to invest capital from a tax deferred category, which are your 401ks and your IRAs and your pension plans. And then the third bucket of wealth is what we call a tax-free bucket of wealth. And that's generally your Roth IRA. What I have found over a career of work is that most clients do a very good job of creating wealth in buckets one and two, but never create wealth in a Roth IRA. And that happens predominantly because 
most people don't know how to supercharge a Roth IRA because they make too much income. Mm -hmm. Maybe they can do a, what they call a backdoor Roth IRA structure, but for the higher income American, it's difficult to get income in a substantial amount into a Roth IRA. But Is it, there aren't there are, limitations with that, Charlie, if I'm not there mistaken? There are limitations, yeah. Yeah. but there are some strategies and kind of the guy that pioneered this was the founder of PayPal, who grew a multi-billion dollar Roth IRA by capitalizing his startup PayPal with a Roth IRA. And we have strategies that we use to supercharge a tax exempt category of wealth. And what happens later on in life is when you get to a point where you're not working anymore, you sold your business, you're living off a of passive income, we fill up the low tax rate brackets with after-tax investment income and tax-deferred investment income. And then we start getting into a high marginal rate of taxation, say 30% or more. And if you're in California, it can be as much as 55%. We then start drawing money out of a Roth IRA, which is tax exempt. So later on in life, we're able to keep our clients even though they have high income from their investments and the wealth they've created in a very low tax rate environment. And this is kind of why Donald Trump would never share his tax return <laughs> with the public because he had really good tax planners. He was a real estate investor and there are so many kind of loopholes and advantages to that asset class in the internal revenue code. And that's essentially what we do for our clients is we work very diligently to keep our clients marginal rate of taxation overall at a 20% or less rate on the, on the federal side. It's so funny that you mentioned Donald Trump too, because I was going to mention him, but I was like, I don't know, you know, we're just knowing each other for the first time, because I feel like that's one of the reasons people like Trump and the one percenters who that people are like that person must be a crook because they're hiding things and stuff like that. But I feel like guys like Trump and, and, probably, I'm sure guys in your universe, they just know how to push the envelope, right? They're, they're following the letter to the law, but they're pushing it to whatever, the, to their advantage, which I think is is intelligent. But I think for, for a lot of people, like, that doesn't seem fair. That's a very powerful observation that you came across there. What you find is that the ultra wealthy have the ability to employ a team of very experienced professionals not only to help them with tax mitigation and asset protection, but also to grow their wealth strategically. The people that get underserved by their financial team are what I call people in the mass affluent category. People that are worth between, say, three and $20 million. They have a team of financial advisors that are, are separate. They're not coordinated. Typically, they don't communicate with one another. They don't integrate their strategies in terms of advice and guidance. And oftentimes, advice is conflicting. And in the traditional side of the financial industry, there's often self-interest on the part of the financial advisor. So as a client, you're left to make up decisions on your own, oftentimes not getting the most independent, unbiased advice and oftentimes conflicting advice. Whereas the guys like Donald Trump and the ultra-wealthy have a team of coordinated professionals, typically in a family office environment where they get great advice and guidance. Mm. 
Yeah, it's, and, and you did mention uh, the PayPal founder, Peter Thiel. And I would recommend uh, the Peter Thiel book, Contrarian, that came out uh, last year. It's a fantastic read. And it, and he's one of these guys that made the Roth IRA famous. I didn't invest in a Roth IRA until last year. And I think in my company, I'm the only one who's done a Roth IRA. So the for the folks unfamiliar, can you just give us some of the parameters? Because we mentioned that there's limitations to it. But the difference between a Roth IRA and your, and your typical IRA. When you fund a Roth IRA, you do not get a tax deduction for the contribution to a, a Roth IRA. The benefit of a Roth IRA is all of the earnings that you accumulate in a Roth grow in a tax-exempt environment. So when you start drawing wealth out of a Roth IRA, you don't get taxed on the income and the distributions. Uh, you have to have a Roth IRA in place for a minimum of five years before you can begin drawing that money out. On a traditional IRA, you get a deduction for the contribution to the IRA, and then when you draw the income out, you pay tax on, on the earnings at ordinary income rates. The, the key strategy with accelerating the, the, the growth of a Roth is to create a structure where you can favorably allocate income, earnings, and gains from your investments into that structure. So you're not going to be able to supercharge or grow your Roth IRA substantially by, say, funding six or $7,000 a year into that strategy. But what you can do is create a structure that allows you to allocate earnings from various sources very favorably, kind of like what the PayPal guy did, yeah. uh, to supercharge the Roth IRA. And you know everyone's situation is unique, but on an individual basis, we can kind of consult and identify the best way for each client to be able to use that strategy very effectively in their financial life. And we sort of alluded to it, but there's a phrase that I've heard you say in the past, and it's called wealth architecture. Talk to me about how wealth architecture plays into what you guys are doing at Key City Capital. So it's interesting. Um, I call myself a wealth architect. I've migrated from being just a tax planner to an individual that helps clients with two critical areas in their financial life. And again, uh, this focus comes from observations I have made over a career of work as a financial services professional. There are two factors that determine how fast and how much wealth you ultimately accumulate during your lifetime. And those two factors are how much you pay in state and federal income taxes and how well your investments perform. So at Key City Capital, we focus on first, recovering dollars that our clients pay in the form of state and federal income taxes. And we do a great job of doing that. That is my core expertise. And we're able to make a big difference very quickly in that area for our clients. But the other area that we work on is actually helping our clients improve investment performance. And many of my clients that initially engage our services in that mass affluent category, they have all of their capital essentially invested in one class of assets, which is the financial markets, stocks, bonds, mutual funds, ETFs, and things like that. The problem with investing in the stock markets is that over a career of work, your investment capital is ultimately going to grow very slowly. Mm -hmm. On average, maybe at a six to eight, if you're lucky, 10% annualized rate of return. And for most people that have a family that maybe have one or two sources of income, you're going to have to work to a normal retirement age or beyond to have enough accumulated capital to retire comfortably. 
Our proposition is that there are two other buckets of investments that you should consider, which ultimately do two things. One is they improve your annual rate of return on your investment capital, and they have embedded tax structures that allow you to keep that income off the 1040 during years when you have high active income. Those two asset classes are passive investment real estate and alternative investments like, for example, asset-backed lending, cryptocurrency, some things like that. So at Key City Capital, we sponsor investments in those two asset categories that ultimately jumpstart or accelerate investment performance. So when it comes to wealth architecture, what we do is go through a process that engineers and actually quantifies what we can save on an annual basis on the tax return side. We create a lifetime annuity of savings that then can be compounded in an investment program where we're diversifying our investment capital so it's not solely invested in the financial markets where we've got investment capital in financials, in passive investment real estate, and in alternatives. And there has never been a more important time, maybe in the, in the career that I have worked in, where this issue is paramount and more important. If we think about it, we've been in an environment where we've reached a, a peak in the financial markets. We're at the, the peak of a market cycle. And by every measure of valuation, we are historically overextended. And I, I believe the financial markets are now beginning to respond to the core inflation being higher than what was projected, longer term inflation, longer term supply chain issues, more than anticipated interest rate hikes planned for 2022. And we're going to see potentially a significant correction in the financial markets and at best maybe level financial performance in the markets over the next several years. So what asset classes perform exceptionally well in an inflationary period? Passive investment, rental real estate, and asset-backed lending. Those two asset categories, I think, are number two and three in terms of a hedge against those issues that we're continuing with today in our broader economy. Hmm. So that's a little bit about what we do on a broader scale at, at Key City Capital in terms of wealth architecture. And there's a lot to unpack there, Charlie. So forgive me if I go back a little bit here, but you mentioned our alternatives and cryptocurrency. As a guy who's known to make bold choices, are you on the crypto NFT? Are you on that bandwagon? Do you feel like that's, a, that's an advisable investment these days? For a small percentage of your capital, yeah. No, maybe no more than 5% of your capital uh, cryptocurrency has been an asset class that has performed exceptionally well. In today's environment right now, I am completely out of the cryptocurrency markets because what we have found is that oftentimes the cryptocurrency markets kind of follow what's happening in the broader financial market. And I'm very concerned about what we're going to see in the financial markets in the next handful of months and for the next several years to come. So I've parked capital out of that category today just because of the volatility and the uncertainty in the financial markets. The volatility thing is the one thing that is alarming that there's so many of these incredibly successful people that are embracing crypto. And I'm like, as an outsider and someone obviously as successful as them, I'm like, well, yeah, you could take the risk on throwing 5% or even more of your wealth into it. But the regular person is like, I don't know if I want to ride that train. Exactly. All right. So 
Uh, one of the things that was uh, we t- started talking about before we we, ha- we did the podcast here was we bo- we both relocated recently in the last few years. You to the Dallas area, me to the Charleston area, and talk to me about that transition for you and why you ended up in Dallas and what that means to what you're doing with Key City. So you talked a little bit about uh, I'm a movie guy. Well, I started an asset back lending business about eight years ago that caters to a couple of industry segments where we've been able to deploy capital on a secured asset-backed lending basis for short periods of time and earn ultra-high rates of return for use of capital. And one of those segments is the entertainment industry. I've been a short-term lender or a bridge lender to independently produce major motion pictures. When you're making an independently produced major motion picture, typically you're gonna need to engage your creative elements your actors, your director, your screenwriters, and you're going to need to package up that that product and be able to sell it in the international film markets and ultimately be able to engage one of the large international entertainment media finance companies to provide the bulk of the financing to make your project. The problem is you're going to need a source of capital to get you to that loan closing. So we provide the capital for an independent producer to get to a very large production loan closing. And so I started this asset back lending business with a couple hundred thousand dollars of my own money eight years ago. And that mushroomed into a $75 million a year business that's now done over $500 million of asset back loans in the independent film finance space. So if you Google my name, Charlie Dombeck, you see that um, I'm in a, a film producer or an executive <laughs> producer. and. I think Google values the entertainment industry more than they do uh, your CPA career, the accounting (laughs) industry with a bunch of bald, stereotypical accountants. Um, So that's how I got started uh, in the entertainment industry. And what happened is uh, Key City Capital, they were clients of mine, primarily on the tax planning and CPA side of my business. And I found that over a career of work, having observed their business model, that in all the work that I had done with real estate investment operators and private equity firms as a tax accountant, I had not found a business model that performed as well on the real estate side as what Key City Capital did. And so I had clients that were participating in the investment strategies that I sponsored on the asset-backed lending side in the entertainment industry and a couple other industry segments that needed access to passive investment real estate and the guys at Key City Capital needed access to what I did on the tax planning side. And so long story short, Key City Capital was located in Dallas, came out for a vision day just before the COVID pandemic crisis and ended up kind of working together on a trial basis. And we found that there were massive synergies between what both of our companies did well. And ultimately, we, we merged just before COVID. And I moved to Dallas, Texas from Los Angeles, California. And um, at Key City Capital, as I mentioned to you prior to our podcast, is that we've been an unintended beneficiary of the COVID economy. At Key City Capital, one of our primary investment strategies is providing access to passive investment single and multifamily residential rental housing to what we call the mass affluent or the accredited investor. So we have sponsored investments in that asset class. 90% of our portfolio historically has been located in Southwest Florida between Naples and Tampa, Florida, as well as several tertiary markets in Texas. 
And so what we've seen, of course, is a massive population shift from the upper Midwest, the upper Northeast, and the West Coast into both of these markets, where we've seen significant rent growth rate and significant appreciation in our portfolio. And every asset that we acquire typically has a value-add component where we typically create about a 30% spread on the acquisition within about 12 to 18 months based upon the value-add work that we do. So right now, our real estate portfolio is performing north of 25% per annum. And U.S. real estate was probably the top-performing asset class last year. If you look at Vanguard, Vanguard has the U.S. real estate fund. I think it's called VNQ. That fund did 40.5% last year. So passive investment real estate is the asset class to be in right now and is the asset class to be in for the foreseeable future as a wonderful hedge against inflation. And the markets that we're in, regardless of interest rate increases, are going to perform exceptionally well because we have a lot of runway left in terms of population shifts and demographic moves to Florida and Texas. Do your friends call you Midas? Because it seems like everything you touch turns to gold. I mean, what, what Charlie, is there anything wrong going on in your life? Not that I expect you to say well, that, but things look so, really good for you. Remember, um, I've been a practicing CPA for north of just 30 years. So I have seen and been exposed to every investment strategy you can possibly think of. I've been in, exposed to every different type of business model. I've seen massive successes. I've seen massive failures. And I've learned through a career of work how to underwrite investment opportunities, how to evaluate investment opportunities, and kind of how to put opportunities to, together where everyone can benefit from the the work that I've done over, over a career. Wow. So not everything went well throughout my entire life, but I would say that what happened to me is that kind of preparation met opportunity in the twilight of my career. And we really knocked it out of the park in the last eight years. Oh, yeah. No doubt about that. And before I let you go, Charlie, I want to talk about something you just sort of uh, referred to and sort of something that you reflects your life is this population shift. You know, folks moving to Texas. Austin's a big spot for a lot of the California, California Californians to move down to. Uh, people from the Northeast have moved south to Florida or South Carolina, North Carolina. The big reason, as you know, Charlie, is state income tax. And I've spoken to a lot of wealth management people in the past, and, and I say, you're seeing these population shifts. Why are these states that are losing people not doing something about either reducing state income tax or just doing away with it altogether? And the one thing that keeps coming up when I say it is it's almost like a drug to these states. It's like they just can't let go of it. So talk to me about yeah, that it's, state income it's, tax drug. It's both political and fiscal. So most of the states that are losing a significant portion of their population are what I call blue states, where we have a lot of government regulation, a very strong governmental presence, and a, a, a massive infrastructure of government spending and taxation to support that level of infrastructure. Right. And the problem is you're taking so much wealth out of your your occupants in those states. And what people can do is simply, if maybe say people in the upper Northeast 
and upper Midwest, they can sell their house at a premium, get out at the peak of a market cycle and move to Florida, Texas, Tennessee and buy a house of similar size that they've lived in or maybe a little bit smaller if they're kind of in the twilight of their career and take the additional capital that they've uh, been able to exit and walk away with from the real estate and invest that passively to where they can live a very comfortable lifestyle without ever having to work again for the rest of their life. And this is also what's happening with the population in terms of the workforce. A lot of the workforce that was pre-pandemic is not coming back simply because they've left with a bunch of wealth from these states that they've accumulated primarily in their real estate uh, holdings and been able to translate that into cash flow that they can use to live off of for the rest of their life. But also the population shifts have occurred because of crime mm. and because of the, the whole defunding of the police. I mean, just this morning on the Wall Street Journal, they talked about the murder rate being at a 25-year high. You can't defund your police departments and expect people to want to stay and live in these areas when safety is a big concern. And I had a client that lived in Chicago that lived in a penthouse, was renting, was under contract to buy a penthouse in like three or four buildings on the water, had put a $350,000 deposit down for that, that condo. And when they had the riots in Chicago, we were kind of FaceTiming, and he showed me the people breaking into the high-end retail stores downstairs. And literally, he vacated his $350,000 deposit. Six weeks later, moved to Nashville, Tennessee, bought a $3 million property that, by the way, is now worth $4.8 million <laughs> and left for good. Wow. And here's what's happening is not only are individuals leaving and moving to Texas and Florida and Tennessee, but major Fortune 500 companies are. And what you're seeing and are going to see is there's going to be a need for employees in these jurisdictions for the next four to five years, based upon the relocation of these major companies to these jurisdictions. So there's a lot of runway left in the Texas, Florida, landlord-friendly states that are located south of the Mason-Dixon line. Wow. And do you see that uh, eventually, it's not going to happen in the near future, but do you see some of these states, I mean, I can't imagine like a New York, California, but some of these that have a state income tax try to draw some of these people in because that, it's so funny. There was uh, the the quarterback at Clemson who uh, replaced Trevor Lawrence. Uh, he was asked who his favorite NFL team is. And his answer was, my favorite NFL team is the one that drafts me that doesn't have state income tax. <laughs> and this is a college kid. Yeah. He's thinking about state income tax at this point in his life. So do well, you see that changing in the foreseeable future for some so of these states? I, I see a, a major problem for states that are losing their tax base. The problem is going to be they're going to lose tax revenues. And so their total tax revenues are going to decline and they're going to be forced to actually increase taxes. Oh, geez. And, and look, in California, it came out this morning that California is looking to increase taxes significantly because of the loss of the population base and the tax base. So they can't maintain their infrastructure and the governmental support programs unless they have significant tax revenues. And I don't see them trying to become more competitive. I actually see them trying to raise taxes significantly to make up the shortfall in revenues that they're experiencing because of the shift in population outside of these states. It sounds like uh, you better make some room over there in Texas, Charlie. Sounds like you have a few more of those Los Angeles. South Carolina, down. too. I mean, yeah. I was just in Charleston visiting you guys, and it's booming there. Yeah. No, it's beautiful. And one thing you did not mention about being south of the Mason-Dixon line, especially for people from the Northeast and Midwest, 
the weather's a whole lot nicer. So sure <laughs> that's, that's another nugget to, to worry about. Well, Charlie, I want to be respectful of your time. Uh, I could keep talking to you all day, but I know you're a busy man. You're making money for a lot of people. So I want to thank you for the time. I want to wish you the best of luck, and I cannot wait to see what you do next. Likewise, and thank you for having me today. It was a wonderful experience, and look forward to the next opportunity. Likewise. His name is Charlie Dombach. He is the President and Chief Client Officer at Key City Capital. You can start building your own wealth today by going to keycitycapital.com. And that's it for another episode of the Forbes Books Podcast. If you enjoy the show, make sure you take a second to subscribe so you automatically get my new shows when they drop. Also, if you have a minute, I would love if you left us a review so more amazing entrepreneurs like yourself can discover the show. And please don't forget the golden rule and treat others as you want to be treated. Thanks for listening. Until next time, adios.